Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. How, you know, on our third week, you know, we're 56 people, and yes, a lot of you are visitors, and we'd love for you to eventually stay. But even just the mere fact that there's so many people here, and it's not about numbers, but still, sometimes God uses that to just like, wow, 6 to 56 is really um, an amazing blessing, and it's a really uh, a testimony of God's grace. Uh, and really, there's nothing we did. There's just, God did it, you know, and um, pray that He would continue to do it. Pray that He would continue to work in and through us to be faithful ministers of the gospel, for people to live on mission together, to invite their friends, to tell their friends about Jesus, to to love and care for their friends, their colleagues, to minister the gospel in the way they, they say and show the gospel, where people live, where people play, and where people work. Um, it's my pleasure to... Well, it's maybe not a pleasure, but it's a pleasure to end off the series uh, in the the letter to the Thessalonians, um, and it's really exciting to look forward to the the Saint series in the Book of Acts. But I am unfortunately the guy who has to wrap it up in Thessalonians. And Thessalonians is a very interesting letter. It's it's actually written to a bunch of people, a small church in a relatively small city compared to like Rome and Athens and Corinth. And Paul only spent about six weeks there. He planted a church, and soon after, after uh, Paul and Silas were literally driven and chased out of the city by force. And the people that stayed behind were persecuted. So when you hear what Paul is writing to them, so Paul has to flee. Paul flees all the way to, uh, to Berea and then to Athens and then to... Um, eventually to Corinth from where he writes this letter to them, always wondering like, what happened to the church? How are the people doing? How are they doing under the immense pressure and strain of persecution? Um, now I don't know what you guys are thinking when you're hearing persecution, but people were killed for their faith in Jesus. Uh, people were um, ostracized from their families. People were um, excluded from the Roman society was extremely tight-knit, and there were certain festivals that if you didn't attend them, you basically cut out of society. People won't do business with you. People won't trade with you. You won't be accepted into certain schools. So now you're basically an outcast. So that's kind of what I want you to think about. So as Paul's writing uh, what you just heard Connor re- uh, read, I want you to think of that. Now, a lot of us aren't going to go through that sort of hectic persecution today, in South Africa, in Pretoria. But we need to try and think through, okay, if this is what Paul is saying to them who are going through like that sort of struggling, that sort of persecution, that sort of strife, how much more should we be doing it under a relatively peaceful environment? So let me pray for us and then we'll jump into it. Lord, we... We come to you and we just want to praise your name, want to worship you, we want to honor you for you working in and among us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for the the way in which you have structured your church and for the leaders who 
guide this church and lead this church. Uh, we pray for your spirit to, to really speak to us and to convict us of our sins today, but also to encourage us, Lord, to build us up so that when we leave here, we will be encouraged to love you more and to share your good news with our friends and our family and our colleagues. So be with us, Lord. Help us to concentrate. Um, help us to not be distracted. But even if we are, that something would still stick, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So like I said, um, Thessalonica was a Roman city. Um, it was afforded quite a lot of freedom. Um, and they had an early sort of democracy. Now, I don't know, most of us probably grew up in a democracy and live in a democracy. And one of the drawbacks, now I'm not going to say it's bad, like democracy is cool, we live in it. But one of the drawbacks is that it leads to disrespecting the leaders. So yes, we have freedom to go vote. And whoever wins, who has the most votes, they get to rule. But what about the people who are like, ah, I didn't vote for that guy. Now I have to listen to that guy. But I, he's not my guy. My guy lost. But because of the system, you need to follow and submit to that guy, even though your guy didn't win. But that often leads to like bad-mouthing the guy that won. Bad speaking bad of them, uh, always complaining about them. And, and that's kind of the mentality that the Thessalonians had, because it's just, it was just normal. You're like, leaders, ah, leaders aren't that important. Like, ah, it's not my leader. Uh, I didn't choose that leader. I don't care about that leader, whatever he says. So now, in that same context, Paul chooses and, and sets up a leadership structure for the church. But now the people in the church have this attitude of like, we don't care about leaders. You know, so Paul now has to, he has to really encourage them to not be like their culture, to not be like the world and the people around them, and to, to really respect and esteem highly those people that he has put in charge of them, those people that he has called to lead them. Because in the process of not respecting and esteeming highly the, the leaders that was placed over them, they are kind of shooting themselves in the foot. Because these leaders are the one who are guiding them, shepherding them, calling them to follow Christ, calling them to, to experience the love, the peace, the joy, and the satisfaction that can only come through an inner relationship with Jesus Christ. But in kind of like, we're like, don't like that guy. But in automatically in not liking the guy, you don't always listen to the guy. Like, I don't care what he says. And that was the situation. Hebrews puts it in a little bit of a different way. So let me quickly just so that you can mirror the two against each other. Verse 12 says, We ask you, brothers or brethren, uh, brethren can be translated and include uh, sisters as well. So we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So I want to really, I want to point your eyes to the fact that we, as God's people, are not called 
to respect the leaders God has placed over you purely because they are your leader. That's not what the passage says. The passage says, esteem them very highly because of their work. So because they are striving for you, because they are teaching you, because they are loving and, and sacrificing their time, their effort, their energy for you to grow you in your relationship with Jesus, to help you love Jesus more, that's why you should respect them and esteem them highly. I think we have a culture, I'm not going to say it's a culture here, but in South Africa and Af- Africa as a whole, we have this mentality of like, because that guy has a title, we have to respect him. And then they steal all the money in the church, they defraud everyone, and we're like, yeah, but he was the pastor. Like, no, that's not good enough. Paul says, you need to earn this respect. You need to work, labor, be faithful, and then people will, the respect will follow. And even the peace in the community will also be a result. So imagine you have a whole group of people who are bad-mouthing the, the pastor, bad-mouthing the leaders, like they are useless, you know, I don't like the way they preach, they always preach too long, they walk around too much, they don't stand still the way I like it, he's not wearing the shirt, he's not wearing a tie, they didn't sing the songs I wanted. You know, there's all this this stuff, you know, I can't even know what I, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> it's almost like I'm venting, like I'm just, I'm reflecting on all the complaints I've heard. <laughs> This is where I was going. It leads to peace when we follow the designed order. When we respect the leaders God placed over us, it leads to peace in the community because then the people who are leading are able to serve wholeheartedly without being like criticized at every point. So Hebrews puts it very nicely. So listen to Hebrews 13 verse 17. And he's speaking to the people in the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who have to give an account. These people that are over you have to give an account to God. How they served you. How they preached the gospel to you. How they discipled you. Can you, can you kind of imagine the weight that, that comes along with that? There are people that are sitting in meetings like this who don't know Jesus. And what the leaders do could potentially lead to them transferring from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. From eternal damnation in hell to eternal life with Jesus in heaven. That's the pressure that's on this guy. On Rain, on Vikas, on Yanali, on Janine. That's the pressure. You know, being a a leader in church is not for perks. You know, I think a lot of people have this mentality. Pastors are just taking all our money. Pastors have private jets and mansions. But for every pastor, um, that is happening, for every pastor that does have a private jet, that does have five, four mansions in three, three different countries, there's thousands who are struggling just to survive. There are thousands who don't know where their next paycheck is coming from. There are thousands who are faithfully serving God's people without knowing what's going to happen at the end of the month. 
who have to take a, a second job, a third job, just to survive themselves, but still they come faithfully to serve. Now imagine you have that sort of sacrificial life, and then people are still complaining. Ah, oh, we don't like that guy. He's never good enough. He preaches too long. He can't sing on tone. You know, can you, can you feel the pressure and then how that could cause a lack of peace in the community? So that's sort of following God's example for the hierarchy, the, the leaders um, serving sacrificially like Jesus and the followers respecting and esteeming that leads to peace among God's people. Now, I don't know when it comes to disrespecting the pastors, the leaders. I don't know if it's that common in our context. I think it might even be the opposite. I think in our context, we esteem our pastors too much to the point where we'll just do whatever they say, um, believe whatever they say, and that's also not healthy. That's the other extreme. And that's where the passage even says we need to test everything, hold on to what is good, but discard, at, uh, get rid of, or don't listen to what is evil. Okay, so hold on to what people say. So I think there is a culture of we maybe have celebrity pastors. We're like, oh, yeah, I like that pastor. You know, Ravi Zacharias. Yes, Ravi Zacharias is like the most amazing apologist ever. All of a sudden comes out that he was sleeping around. He was traveling all over the world. Um, he was... What's the crime? You know, sleeping around with different women in different countries uh, without his ministry knowing it. But because we have the celebrity culture, we're like, no, no, no. He's, he's so effective for the gospel that surely what he's doing must be right. But isn't there a passage in Matthew 7 where it says like, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not have mega churches in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And then Jesus said, away from me, you worker of iniquity. I do not know you, and I did not have a relationship with you. So whether you have a mega church, whether you are extremely successful, whether you have like 10,000 books, that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what matters is, are you faithful to the flock that God has given you? The, so that's the one side. We maybe respect our pastors too much. But now we do have to look at what the passage is talking about, disrespecting those. Now, the, you have to ask yourself, do we disrespect our spiritual leaders in South Africa, in our context? Do we? I, I don't think we do it as blatantly as this letter is talking about in the church in Thessalonica. But I think there's a subtle disrespect. I think it comes out in the jokes. You know, when, when people are chatting after the church service, like, hey, pastor, yo, you only work five hours a week, eh? Yes, life is good for you. We're like, wait a minute, where do you get that five hours from? They're like, no, 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 you, you know, I'm just joking, man. I'm just joking. You know, you Bible study and you preach on Sunday. Like, people honestly believe that's the job of a pastor. And I think that's the way in which there's this a, a culture of disrespect in, in not understanding what spiritual leaders do and what they do for the flock. I think 
this being my ninth year in ministry, I, I have to admit that ministry can be hard. Like, it's not... Okay, let me first start with the good stuff. It is extremely encouraging to see people who are not even Christians become Christians and then give their life to Christ and then live in a way that's totally opposite to the way they used to live. It's so encouraging. It's also super encouraging when you, when you like start meeting up with like a young believer and then you disciple them and then four years later he's like a, a deacon in the church or an elder in the church. You're like, wow, look at what God can do. That is super encouraging. But then I'm reminded of the parable of the, the four soils and the seed going out to everyone. And out of the four different soils, only one of them bears fruit. And that's the hearts of people. So those represent people. And, and out of four, if three out of four are not submitting to the Lordship of Christ, that means 75% of people that, that you are going to be sharing the gospel with, sharing your life with, 75% of people will reject you. So that's your leader's job, you know. Your full-time job is to be rejected 75% of the time. You know, that can sometimes be discouraging. You know, to, to counsel people through death, to counsel people through marriage troubles and conflict, to be with someone as they're going through a divorce, as they were being deserted, going through pain, rejected, uh, loss, a child who has a drug addiction. Sitting with people through those times are not easy. They are extremely stressful and they take a massive toll on your leaders. Even just preparing a sermon, you know, takes like 20 hours to do like a 20-minute sermon. You know, if you you are standing in front of everyone here and be like, this better be a theologically sound sermon. You know, because I will be held accountable if I lead everyone astray here. I will stand in front of Jesus and say, those 56 people that came to Red Door that day, you led them astray. That will be on me. So that I need to sit during the week and graft in order to get this passage right, in order to get the intended meaning that God wants you to know, all of us to know, I need to get that right. There's a certain level of pressure that comes with that. And then there's the, the complaints and the, the critique that comes along with that. And I think a lot of times if people are more in a public sphere and they stand on the stage, a lot of people feel the freedom to be like, ah, oh, Hmm, don't like that about him, don't like that about her, don't like that about the church, the, the, the church is not big enough, we need to find a better building, the parking's too small, there's not enough space for cars, you know, the kids' ministry is not big enough, you need more, you know, there's so many things that you get exposed to. I mean, I've even had a situation where someone literally walked out while I was preaching. Not, not the situation where they're like, I want to go to the bathroom and I went out by the back. They went from there where Temba is sitting, came past the front, shook their head so that everyone could see and walked out. I was like, because I'm like, 
but this is the gospel. It's because I said that if you are not in Christ, you will go to hell for all eternity. And people are like, no, 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 no. I'm like, that's in the Bible. I'm just saying what Jesus is saying. But yet, you get flack for doing that. Open to ridicule. I know, now, in my short, now, I've only been a Christian since 2005. And in my short time of being a Christian, I've gone to six different churches. And of the six pastors that served at that six different churches, one died at age 42 of a heart attack after burnout. One was hospitalized and forced to take a sabbatical for months. And the other was so crippled by, by depression that he eventually left the ministry because, well, the pressures of a young church plant, but then also he wasn't getting paid every month. So that the financial strain on his family and his marriage was so hectic that eventually he left the ministry. So being a pastor is not easy. So I want to really encourage us to have a right understanding of the role of a pastor and for us as a family to really pray for Reinhardt, to really pray for Janine, to pray for their marriage, to pray as they serve us and sacrifice their lives. I mean, they are, they are just opening their homes. I mean, I, I feel like everyone has been at their house at least like four times. Like, they're just always giving. They're just always uh, giving us all their food. I'm like, who's giving this? You know, where's this food? It just keeps on coming. Um, and God, may God bless them and continue to grow them. And, and may we, as a family of God, continue to grow because of them. But may, may we not cause them strife and harm because of how we are acting, because we are disrespecting, because we're not esteeming them. They deserve, based on what I have seen, and I think what you can also see, they deserve to be esteemed highly and respected. And that will lead to our community being peaceful. The second point is from verse 14 to 18. I want us to now focus on us. So that was, Paul is saying, okay, the leaders. This is how I want you to view the leaders. That's the responsibility of the leaders. But now it comes to us. Now a lot of you are probably like, uh, I was kind of hoping the pastor could do everything and I could just come and consume, you know, and if I didn't like it, I would just go. Um, verse 14 says, and we urge you, brothers, or brothers and sisters, admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And those three things together, rejoice, pray, and give thanks, for this is the will of Christ, for God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for you, to basically live like this. So God wants you to live a certain way. And God wants us to relate to one another in a certain way. Now, many times, in fact, the first time I read this passage, I immediately thought of the leaders. I'm like, um, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them. I'm like, sure, that's rough, eh? Sure, all the best to rankies. But then when I read it the second time, it becomes very clear that it's talking to us. 
excluding the leaders. So this is our responsibility. Because the very same word, that brethren, the very same people, brothers and sisters, who were called to respect the leaders are now being called to admonish one another, to encourage one another, to help one another. That's us. The reason I would say that the logic goes like this. Why would Paul say to, if this was to the pastor, let's say imagine this passage was to the pastor. Why would Paul say, guys, pastors and leaders, like you need to stop disrespecting yourselves. You know, you, you need to start like esteeming yourself higher. You know, it, it doesn't make sense in the logic of the passage. He's clearly talking to the congregation. We are called to love people in the church. And there is, unfortunately, an unbiblical culture that the pastor must do everything. And we must just sit and receive. That, in my opinion, is one of the things that the devil really rejoices over. The devil loves it when we as God's people do nothing and expect the pastor to do everything. Why does the devil love this? Well, because the pastor is going to get burnt out and leave the ministry. There's one less pastor. There they go. And then they're going to look for the next one, and then we're going to burn the next one out as well. And that's not biblical. Ephesians 4 is very clear that the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So our jobs as leaders, Rankis' job as a leader is to equip us to do the work of ministry. It's very clear in this passage that there are a few different kinds of people. Now, these are not the only kinds of people in a church. This is clearly the main people in their church in Thessalonica. But in our church, there'll be a whole range of different issues in and amongst us. But I'll focus on the three that uh, Paul focuses on here. The first one is the idol. The reason why he focuses on the idol is because in the context of this, uh, the people of Thessalonica thought that Jesus was going to come back like any day now. Like when Paul said, like, the Lord is going to return. You know, when they read the, 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 the gospel of Luke, they're like, Jesus went to heaven, but said he's going to return. And they thought like it's going to happen like any day now, like any day. So they all quit their jobs and they all just chilled at home waiting, you know, watching sports blitz. We're like, okay. Uh, Jesus is going to come back any moment. Okay, sports blitz is kind of the cycle is over, so I have to now start watching live sport. Jesus is going to come back. At any, he's not coming yet. Okay, I'll have to start a series. Netflix. Uh, you know, and, and Jesus didn't come back. It was years. Years and years. He's still not back. So Paul is saying like, just because Jesus might come back like a thief in the night, as chapter 4 talks about, doesn't mean you have to stop living your life. God is calling you to live your life and be on mission along with other people in your community, to reach the lost in your city. Continue to live. So then they were like, maybe we can use this and take advantage of some of the richer people in the church. You know, so there were a lot of wealthy women, specifically, in this church. And a lot of these young, lazy, idle people were basically sponging of them. Um, saying like, oh, Paul said you should be generous, generous to me. 
I need to pay my Netflix subscription, you know. But that is not what Paul is calling them to do. So instead, Paul is calling us as the church to admonish them. The word admonish means to warn someone about the disastrous consequences of his or her actions. To warn someone that where you're going, is it's going to end up bad. The word idol refers to someone who's undisciplined or someone who's out of line. You know, even we have that saying like, oh, you're out of line. Uh, it, it was referring to like a, a Roman cohort who's marching together in sync. And then there's this one guy like, I want to walk like this. It's like, no, 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 no. Come back. Come back. We need to admonish that person. Say like, no, no, no. This is how we're marching. We're doing it for a reason. We're going this direction. Can't just all do whatever we want. We need to be in line with what God is calling us. The standard God is calling us to is here. So this is going to be awkward. But look around. It's okay, you can turn your heads. Look around, be like, who are here that are out of line? There might be no one that's out of line. We're still a very small church. We all at that stage, we're like, listen, we still need to put on the mask. We need to polish ourselves. We need to put on our posh clothes and we need to really keep it together. But give it a year, give it two years, maybe even not that long, maybe six months. And there's going to be people who are going to be out of line. And what will be your first reaction? Reinhardt, this guy is out of line. No, it's not Reinhardt's job. It's your job. Preferably in private, not like in public. They'll be like, oh, come on. Like totally. No, no, no. Do it in private. Take them for a coffee. Say like, listen, I think where you're going, the consequences is going to be bad. You're not in line with what God is calling us to. And that's not going to be easy. But that's what the Bible says we should do. That's the first one. The second kind of people are the faint-hearted. I'll kind of lump together the faint-hearted and the weak. Because it, it really reflects to the fact that in our church, there's going to be people who are struggling who are weak, who are faint-hearted. Um, and in the same sense, when they are struggling, we as a family are called to help them and called to encourage them. Okay, so I'm going to double-click on this again so that you don't forget this. This should not be your first your first idea or your first thought. Did, 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 did. Reinhard, um, yo, this person is struggling, eh? Yo, they are struggling. They are struggling with not passing their subjects. They are going into a pit of despair. They're struggling with depression. Can you come? No. Bible says you should encourage them. You should help them. Ah, oh, Renkis, there's this guy. He doesn't have food. Can you come help him? No. You should help them. It is, it is obviously the role of us as leaders to help and guide and to support. But if every single person here who has a friend or family member who is struggling calls Reynard, that's 56 phone calls. Now, 56 
situations of struggling, admonishing, and helping all to one man. Can you see how this is becoming a little bit of an impossible situation for one person? Now imagine we grow to like 400 in the next year. 400 phone calls. Yay, Renki, this person is struggling, eh? It's, it's not feasible. And it's not the model that God has given us. God has told us to help one another. To encourage one another. To admonish one another. And different people will experience things differently. People will go through um, difficult times and some people will just become a hustler all of a sudden. And they'll, they'll be calm under pressure and they'll start making up plans and strategies to get themselves through. And that's great. But then you also have people who will struggle to even just get by for years. You know, there are people who've literally died from a broken heart because their spouse died. So, you know, no medical condition. Just, we don't know what happened. Just died. So, if that's the case, how can we love one another? How can we serve one another? And how can we expect that this is our responsibility? And this is not just going to happen if we all see each other once a week here at the, the gathering on a Sunday. That is why we have missional communities and that's why we have smaller DNA groups. That is probably the context where these things will come out. Um, I'm not saying like, hey, you don't even know that person, but you know, just go up to him and be like, you are out of line. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are these structures that are in our church that allows us to grow closer in our relationship with Jesus and grow closer to our relationship with each other. And in, in that missional community and in those DNA groups, we get to know each other to the extent that we can see each other's lives and then speak into it. So if we're seeing people like, hey, I heard you started dating an unbeliever. Like, tell me more about that. No, she's amazing. Best person in the world. She's so good. So what do you do with the, the passages that says it's a sin to, to marry an unbeliever? Oh, didn't know that those passages are there. But I love her. And she's amazing. And she'll probably become a Christian later. That conversation will never happen if we don't know each other. If we don't have relationships with another. And that's why missional communities and DNA groups are so good. Because it, in the same way where Jesus traveled with his disciples for three years. You know, they, they slept in the same camp areas, at the same houses visited the same people, went to the same parties. They lived life together. And through that, a lot of the sins of the disciples came out and Jesus had to speak into them. But I know a lot of you are probably thinking, I don't want anyone to know me. I want to just be okay with coming on a Sunday. I don't want people to know that I'm sleeping around. 
I don't want people to know that I have depression. I don't want people to know that I'm addicted to porn. I don't want people to know that I have an eating disorder. I want people to think that I'm perfect. I want people to love me and accept me. I want people to be my friend. I don't want to be judged by people. And to that I will say, the church is not a museum for perfect people. It is a hospital for broken people. Jesus Christ is the doctor. The gospel is the cure. And sin is the disease. And the only thing that can cure this disease of sin is the gospel through Jesus. So if we start expecting everyone's ears should be polished, like it's the world out there, they are the ones who are sinning. They are the ones who are struggling. They are the ones getting divorced. They are the ones who are depressed. They are the ones with eating disorders. They are the ones with unruly kids. Yeah, everything is fine. Please change that mindset. It's clearly not true. The fact that we have this mindset that we must just come here. And you know when people are like, hey, how are you doing? Like, fine, fine. I'm about to die, basically, on the inside, but I will say that I am fine. Imagine that, was, that happened in a hospital. Imagine your appendix is about to burst. You drive to the hospital and you go sit there in the ER in the waiting section. And then they're like, uh, excuse me, sir, you're next. Um, what's the problem? No, I'm fine. Like, you're, you're like red, you're sweating, you, you can't bend, you're like, I'm fine. I'm fine, nothing wrong. What's the point of that? Why did you even go? Like, the church is a place where we can grow close in our relationship with Jesus, close in our relationship with one another, and as a result of that, find the true joy, everlasting peace, that comes only through a relationship with Jesus. The, the church is not a place where we all put on masks to try and be perfect. The church is the place where we come acknowledge that we are messed up and that we need a Savior. That's why we follow Jesus, remember? Because He saves us from our sins. If we didn't need a Savior, what's the point? You can just go be self-righteous by yourself. You won't go to heaven because obviously you can't be perfect. But we need Jesus. We don't want people to know that we are sinful. Like, I mean, I can confess. Like, I, I want a Fort Ranger. Like, I struggle with comparisons. Like, I have friends my age who drive Ford Rangers, and I'm just like, ah, oh, Jesus. Driving in my Yaris. I'm like, Jesus, I just, if only I can. And then I'm like, wait a minute, pause. Why do I want a Ford Ranger? Oh, but then people will think I'm successful. And they'll think that I'm, I'm a somebody. You know, I'll be powerful. I'm like, okay, but why? Why do I want people's approval, people's acceptance? Why do I compare myself with other people? Why do... Why would I go almost half a million rand in debt? So spend money I don't have to please people that probably 
don't like me anyway. You know, what's the point of that? Jesus already loves us. He's already accepted us, not based on our own merit, based on His merit. You know, I think one of the things that, that Paul is calling us here is to trust in Him wholeheartedly. You know, and it's not easy. Imagine this Thessalonian church that's going through so much persecution. And then Paul is saying, be patient with everyone. Don't retaliate. Do good to other people. How? You know, I'm here struggling with my life. Do I want a Ford Ranger or not? But these people are losing their livelihoods, having their houses plundered, losing their businesses. Losing actual family members. These people are really struggling. And yet Paul is referring and alluding to the teachings of Jesus. And saying you need to love these people. You need to be patient with them. So what I get from that is. We're going to have a lot of messed up stuff in our family. In our church. And what we are called to is to be patient with one another. To love one another. To not retaliate. To retaliate is just a normal function. It just it's, it naturally happens. But Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turns to him the other. Matthew 5 verse 39. Paul also says in Romans 12 verse 21, Do not, overcome, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The the church was being persecuted in the first century which, when this letter was written. But only 300 years later, the state religion of the Roman Empire was Christianity. How did that happen? And someone once wrote, they said, the, the blood of the martyrs are the, the fuel of the church growing. It's the seed for the church growing. So we had... A mass amount of Christians were, were in churches all over the Roman Empire who were loving each other and loving other people. Not retaliating when they're being persecuted. Not only doing good to one another, but doing good to their enemies. Not retaliating when someone hits you. You know, it kind of, when you retaliate and you hit back, it spurs on a, a fight and flight thing for the other person. So like they're already kicking you and hitting you and now you, you're trying to fight back and they're like, oh, I'm going to give you even more. You know, but Jesus is like, no, pray for them. Accept it. Turn the other cheek. That, if you are the one who's persecuting, if you're the one hitting, if you're the one kicking, you start to be like, why isn't this person fighting back? Fight back. Fight back. Oh, he's not fighting back. And then you go to bed that night, you're like, this is really strange. Why didn't he fight back? When I cursed her, why doesn't, didn't she curse back? Why, what is it that she believes that makes her act like that? Now you have millions of Christians do that, then that's how you take over an empire. And that's how we can reach the city of Pretoria, South Africa and Africa and the whole world. By merely living out the teachings of Jesus. Now obviously living out the teachings of Jesus is most easy, right? It's really easy. I mean, you just need to do it. You know, suck it up and do it, right? No, please don't say right. That was sarcastic. It is not easy. 
It is hard to be holy. It is hard to be sanctified. It is hard to follow the teachings of Jesus. If you try to do it in your own strength. And that is where we end. The last point is such an encouraging passage. Verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you. It doesn't say, You better sanctify yourselves. No. The pressure is off. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you. And may your whole spirit and soul and body, so your, your whole entirety be kept blameless, kept by God, blameless, till Jesus comes back. And then, I love the way he ends. He who has called you is faithful and he will surely do it. Do it. It refers to the sanctification. If that's not good news, then I don't know what is. Because what that passage is basically saying is that someone achieved your sanctification in one, one sweep, one swoop. And that is Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus achieved sanctification for you. Justification for you. You are made holy by Jesus Christ on the cross so that in your faith in Jesus Christ, God sees the perfect Jesus Christ. So He doesn't see Sechemetsi and all her sin. He sees Jesus Christ. Doesn't see Tremaine in all his sin. sees Jesus Christ. Who else wants to go? Doesn't see... <laughs> he doesn't see you... As a sinner. He sees you as perfectly righteous as Jesus. Therefore, you deserve to go to heaven for all eternity. Because of Jesus. But now we're still here. And the process of sanctification still needs to happen. So, we do not seek to be holy... And follow the teachings of Jesus in our own strength. If you try to do it in your own strength, there's two outcomes. You will either be prideful. Actually, no. There will be two outcomes if you try to follow Jesus' teaching in your own strength. You'll either be prideful or depressed. Follow my logic. If you read Jesus' teachings, you're like, Turn the other cheek. Yeah. Turn the other cheek. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Go and make disciples. I'm going. I'm going. You know, in your own strength. I'm actually doing a good job. I'm not cursing. I'm not stealing. I'm not killing. I'm, I'm a boss at this Jesus thing. I'm so good. I deserve to go to heaven. No. Because in that very statement, you nullified your holiness because of your pride. So, either you try your hardest to be, be a good person and you become prideful, or you try your hardest to be a good person and then you become depressed because you realize it's impossible. You, I'm like, I try to do my quiet time every day. It just doesn't happen. I try to memorize scriptures. It just doesn't happen. I try to 
tell my neighbor about Jesus. I just, it never happens, never comes up. I try to be patient with my brother. He's always ignoring me. Just, I just want to cuss at him so bad. It just doesn't happen. So as a result, you become like, oh, I'm so, oh, I'm so bad. I'm so useless. I, what's the point even? What's the point? Because we are trying in our own strength. Instead, we should freely want to give our lives to Jesus and follow Him and serve Him because we know that we are loved and accepted based on His merit. So that when you screw up, you're like, guys, I mean, it really gives you the freedom to be open and honest. Like, guys, I'm addicted to porn, eh? Like, please pray for me. Girls, I, I just eat. You know, I get uncomfortable and I just shop. Like, I just, I can't, like, chocolate cake and me, like, I can't, when, when, as soon as I start getting anxious, I just go for that chocolate cake. You know, I have an extra stash of Chateau too in my fridge, and whenever there's a problem, I go for it. You know, you can be honest. You know, I'm not saying, hey, come, come to the front. Come share with us all your deepest, darkest secrets. But I'm saying in that missional community, in your DNA group, be honest with each other. Feel like, guys, I'm so attracted to this guy. He's like the biggest chop in the world and he's not a Christian. But like, I love him. Like, I care so much. Like, okay, okay. we need to sit down. We need to discuss this one. Um, in our own strength, we'll never do it. But this is what I want to send you away with. He will surely do it. And He has done it. Your justification, your righteousness has been achieved already. We do good works. We follow Jesus because we have already been loved. We have already been accepted. We don't follow Jesus because we want to be accepted. We don't follow Jesus because we want to get into heaven. He has already called us, loved us, accepted us. And out of an overflow of gratefulness and thankfulness and gratitude, we want to tell other people about Him. We want to love other people because we have been loved. We want to forgive other people because we have been forgiven. That is what I want us to leave with, with the encouragement that Jesus alone will, will be your rock. He is the one that gives you the satisfaction and joy that, uh, that you can live a life of joy because of Him and not live with a with a feeling of pride or despair your whole life. Father, we come to you because we need you. We praise you and worship you because you have saved us. You have made a way for us to spend eternity with you, to be reconciled with you, to be brought back together in a relationship with you. Even though we rebelled against you, we, we, we didn't want to follow your ways. We wanted to do our own thing. But you are the one who said, I want you to be in a relationship with me. I want you back in my family. I will send my son to die on the cross for you. Thank you that by faith, we can put our trust in you. And because of that, know with effect and have assurance that we will spend eternity with you. Thank you for that hope. Thank you that we can rejoice in that hope. Thank you that we can live a life of thankfulness because of the hope of the resurrection. Please be with us as a community to, to not just 
want rankies and Yanin to do everything. But to love one another, to help one another, to, to serve one another, to admonish one another, to encourage one another. Help us to carry each other's burdens, Lord. Help us to be a real family. Help us to not just to fake it, Lord. Help us to consider prayerfully to, to enter into these more closer, deeper uh, missional communities and DNA groups, Lord. And may we grow radically in our relationship with you and each other as a result of that. May our holiness increase as a result of that. And may the city of Pretoria be reached because of us knowing and loving you more. May people look at us and say, surely these must be disciples of Jesus because of the way that they are loving one another. We cannot do this in our own strength, Lord. We acknowledge that. So we trust in you and we place our hope in you because you have done it and you will continue to do it. Amen.